Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark LaLiberty, and joining me today is... Corey Vaccinated Knockreiner. Hey, congrats. Go block viruses from your body, not just your computer. <laughs> That's a... Uh, maybe, maybe, you know, it seems like everything these days is giving out a free vaccination. Maybe we can give out like a, a free watch guard sticker or something if you prove you've been vaccinated. I like this idea. Let's run with well, it. Well, one, one extra month of AD360 with every proof of vaccination. <laughs> That's a great idea. Let's go contact our marketing team. Uh, but before that, let's go ahead and get into this podcast that we're trying to record right now. Uh, this week, we're talking about quite a few news updates from a few topics we've hit over the last few months. We'll touch on the epic battle between Apple and Epic, uh, an update on the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack from last week. What? Of course it's an epic battle if it involves Epic. Thank you. Uh, and an update from SolarWinds CEO. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and, I don't know, shimmy on in. I feel bad for that CEO. He was not the CEO when this whole attack happened. He is a recent addition to SolarWinds. It, he has to deal with all the fallout. I or feel I have no sympathy for him because he's a CEO and making a ton of money and he knew exactly what he walked into. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> So we've got quite a bit to cover this week, uh, mostly in the forms of updates to news stuff we've talked about for the past few months or so. But I guess the first one we should start with is I think a topic we haven't really covered on, mostly because up until now, there haven't been a whole lot of security implications out of it. Uh, but let's get started with uh, the epic battle of Epic and Apple. Uh, so Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> Corey has said his only thing he knows about Epic Games. Now we can continue. <laughs> no, it's my least favorite Epic game. I don't think I've ever even played it. I'll admit I tried it and I hot garbage at it. And so I stopped playing it real dang quick. Um, but anyways, so Epic Games, who, like you mentioned, is the creator of the really popular game Fortnite, filed lawsuit against Apple last summer uh, after Apple removed the game from the iOS app store for violating their terms by accepting payments in-app instead of using the App Store and letting Apple get their 30% cut. Uh, Epic is arguing that the iOS App Store is a monopoly, which is why they're suing Apple. Um, they're basically trying to make it so Apple should be forced to allow competing app stores in their ecosystem, similar to how Android works. Like on Android phones, you have the Play Store, but... You can still have the Amazon App Store. You can have plenty of other third-party app stores. Um, you're not locked into only installing applications through Google like you are on Apple. Um, and while the goal is to escape Apple's 30% cut, uh, the results of this trial are going to have some potential security impacts, um, especially if Apple is forced to basically tear down their walled garden. Uh, so the trial started... In month, this person. And <laughs> you mean in person this month? In month, this person. Yes, man. Words <laughs> are hard today. Uh, it started in person this month. And just last week, Apple's vice president, uh, Craig Federighi. Oh, boy. I probably butchered. I'm not great with Italian names. I'm assuming that's Italian. That's probably not fair for me to assume. But anyways, he gave testimony stating that 
quote, today we have a level of malware on the Mac that we don't find acceptable. Um, By the way, that that's a big statement from Apple. Yeah. I mean, Apple, in my opinion, has pretty much kind of nurtured their we're bulletproof from malware. You know, while they haven't said that outright, they kind of encouraged their, maybe encourage is the wrong word. A lot of Mac users, as you and I have talked about, Mark, think that Macs are don't get malware, which is patently false, incorrect. What? Really? <laughs> but Mac doesn't really discourage that feeling either. So, but anyways, the point is for one of their executives to actually say they have a level of malware they don't find acceptable is is actually admitting a big thing. And I will say that this quote is specifically talking about Mac OS. Yes. The, the actual desktop operating systems, which and, I'm sure we'll get more into in a second. Yeah, to Apple's credit, they actually do a lot to harden Mac OS still, even though they do allow you to install apps from anywhere on the internet. Like in the last few major revisions, like yeah. El Capitan and Big Sur, like all the latest ones, they've been improving what they call Gatekeeper, which is basically the the daemon responsible for approving whether an application is going to run or not. And um, believe it or not, it even has antivirus signatures. While it's mostly signature-based, there's things it doesn't run. I, I will say, while you can technically install anything from the internet, they are making it more and more closed. By default, you can't. By default, you can, you're only allowed apps downloaded from the App Store. And nowadays, even when you pick App Store and identified, the keyword being identified developers, that limits you to things on the internet, which Apple's already shared a, a key with. There are apps out there that are technically not identified developers. And while you can technically still install those in Big Sur, it is a pain in the tuchus. Yeah. There are a lot of, there are <laughs> steps you have to go through beyond the GUI sometimes to get an app to work. Uh, I mean, I will say that you can still install anything on the desktop OS, but they're making it harder and harder and harder. And it's pretty difficult for app developers too. Like as part of the process for getting your app, they call it notarization for Apple. You basically have to upload a copy of it to Apple servers uh, where they do some minor like signature verification uh, looking for no malicious code and then they sign it. And then you also have to sign it with your own developer certificate as well to prove that you're the one that created it. And then and only then will it not tick off Gatekeeper when someone downloads it from the internet. Without that, like you said, you have to like do a lot of manual effort, potentially even through the command line to even get an application to run. So they're doing a lot of work to make it more secure. But even then, like as their VP said, it's at a level where they don't find it acceptable on Mac OS. And like you said, he's comparing this to iOS where they have full control over every application effectively that gets installed on that device. He actually can. Yeah, so, so the different, yeah, I, I think your comparison you'll get to will explain this better, but iOS is is the opposite. It is a lockdown environment. Without jailbreaking the phone, you can only use the App Store. Yeah, uh, so we compared Mac OS, so their desktop and laptop uh, software, to a car, basically, where uh, it, there's nothing to stop the user of the car from taking it off road or wherever they want for better or worse. Whereas it iOS, might, it might be a Prius, but if you want to go try <laughs> mudding in a Prius, you're welcome to do that. Go if for you it. You want to take your Prius rental through the road to Hana on Maui. There's nothing technically <laughs> stopping you from doing that. Um, but meanwhile, on iOS, though, he noted that 
they need to be usable by children and even babies. Like I've noticed that kindergartners these days, especially with the distance learning, they get an iPad and that's how they do their schoolwork. Uh, so you need to, I, I understand you need to protect them and prevent malware from potentially getting installed on there. Um, so Apple is arguing that if they, that allowing alternative app stores introduces major security issues. Uh, he said, if you were able to download iPhone and iPad apps outside of Apple's Apple's app store, you'd be open to a variety of security issues that Apple couldn't review before use. And he also cited an additional report by Nokia recently that found that iOS accounted for just 1.7% of all mobile malware infections, while Android was at 26.6%, uh, Android being the one without the, the walled garden approach to it. So there is like, there's data backing it up that Apple's iOS and from a security level, like if we're ignoring all the like the bits of you have to do payments through them as well, but just from a security standpoint, it's working. Like the data is showing that it is working and making iOS more secure than its competitors. But yeah, I think we've talked about this before. I, I, Consumer-wise, I don't love closed gardens. It's nice to be able to do whatever I want with hardware I buy. But I think we've said many times that a closed, I mean, security-wise, all the vetting required to get apps in the closed garden obviously make a difference. That's not to say it's not perfect, but it, it's no surprise that closed gardens are harder to get into for bad guys. Yeah. And, I mean, there's even evidence provided or not necessarily provided in this lawsuit but evidence from epic's past actions too that proves that this type of issue has security implications as well that was back in august of 2018 when fortnite uh, made their own app installer on android to again bypass google's app store so they didn't have to pay the 20 or 30 percent cut from revenue there as well um, and google actually their project zero team uh, analyzed their installer and found that any app on the phone could use it to install anything they want on the device, basically. Uh, there was a bit of drama around that one because while Google did work with uh, Epic to get that fixed, they went well uh, quicker than their normal 90-day disclosure process, uh, much to the, uh, the chagrin of uh, Epic. I think Tim Sweeney even came out and said, we appreciate it, but what the heck, Google? So... I mean, there's evidence from Epic themselves that if you allow apps uh -huh. from alternative sources, it does open up potential security, security issues. issues. So I see, I, I see where Apple's coming from. Obviously, this lawsuit is a lot bigger than just security implications of the App Store. Like, by the way, I do you care? I'd like getting off security for a second. Epic has a store too, and Epic is trying to be the exclusive store for their stuff. This is one big freaking company trying to make money instead of another big freaking company, and both of them are kind of middlemen. Half the time, Epic is a middleman to a real studio that made a game. So I, I frankly, I could give a crap's butt about this case between these two big companies that just want to be the bigger middlemen. Every single company is trying to become the store right now. <laughs> It's kind of irritating. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, crap. I saw the latest news from Epic was their game store was just hemorrhaging money from their exclusivity deals that they have with all these uh, video game developers and producers. Uh, well, they've been giving a lot of free stuff away to, to lure people. I've been taking advantage, by the way. Yeah. Every Thursday, they drop a new free game. I think everything I have on my Epic 
game account is free. I don't think I've spent a single dollar in their store now that I think about it. Anyways, but but security wise, I mean, it's it, it's interesting though. I mean, do I want to live in a world where I can't do anything for my better good? You know, I there's definitely argument that the more closed a garden is, the better the the more security you'll be able to enforce there. But there's a lot of times I want to install something on my normal Mac, my desktop Mac, let alone iOS, that it, it just is a pain in the butt and I don't like it. So uh, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> now, do you think that Google's approach of at least making a bit of a pain to sideload apps by having to go in and turn on trusting apps from untrusted sources, do you think that's a good enough middle ground or is that too far and that it's still pretty easy to social engineer someone into doing that and loading something they shouldn't. If you're security conscious, I I, I have nothing against a- Android sideloading. In fact, I I prefer operating systems where I have the option to sideload and as a pro user bypass some things in order to do what I want. Uh, but it is hard to argue with the numbers, you know. Uh, Third-party sources are where all the malware comes from. If you're an Android user and you start doing third-party sources, that's when you got to worry some. Yep. And and even their normal store vetting does not seem to be quite as, I guess the nice way would be to say deep as apples, but you could also say as draconian as apples. But but it seems like more stuff does show up on Android. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's hard to, like we said, it's hard to escape the statistics that there just seems to be more mobile infections when you have a more open environment. And yet I'm not sure I, you know, I, I don't want to always have to use the, the, the bumpers when I'm bowling or have the training wheels on my bicycle. Eventually I would like to ride a bicycle, even though there's a little more danger. So, so I'm personally mixed on whether or not I like closed gardens. As you like to say, call me an Apple fanboy, I definitely use iOS devices quite a bit. So I've maybe because I'm pop pop Corey and don't care about customizing as much because I don't have time for that. The Apple environment's fine. So the fact that it's a closed garden hasn't bugged me too much for my uh, my mobile device. But I think I'd be really pissed off if Mac OS started to become more closed garden. It does and feel I like see it's that- going that way, though. Yes, for both Mac and even Microsoft, by the way. I don't know how much Windows 10 you've played with and Microsoft Store you've played with. I don't think it's uncommon for, you know, it's not just an Apple thing. Closed gardens seem to be a thing. Yeah, you mentioned that. Like, I actually just installed a plugin for a music, like, digital audio workstation the other day on my brand new Windows 10 installation. And in the latest version now, you straight up can't install unsigned uh, executables without going through the command line now. Like previously it was, it would warn you and be like, are you sure? Pop up the smart screen thing. You'd have to, yeah. you know, click a few buttons and finally get through. And this time I had to actually go run command prompt as administrator and then run the executable from there in order to get it to install. So, yeah, and I, get, I, I mean, way. you and I, we get the security benefit of this. I mean, we both recently installed Big Sur. Nowadays, every time you install something new, if it uses your microphone, your screen, uh, you know, the amount of permissions you have to accept to get things working, it's a lot. But, you know, I, I guess that's what we pay for security. Yeah. And Anyways, I don't know if Android's problems are just due to third-party store or, or due to their open garden. 
but uh I, I I don't I like that they allow you to sideload. I will say if you don't know what you're doing as a user, you should be careful every time you sideload. And I'm not going to pretend to be a lawyer and know how this lawsuit's going to end up. Um, but if Apple does end up losing and they are forced to allow other app stores, it will have a impact on security of those devices. Yeah, it, I think it would. I think you're right there. So. Moving on now to a quick update on another story that we just talked about last week, I believe. Um, Colonial Pipeline's CEO confirmed just this last week that they did end up paying the 75 Bitcoin ransom uh, in order to regain access to their systems. Uh, At the time, that was about $5 million. Depending on what time you listen to this podcast during the day, it could be anywhere from 1 million to 10 million. Who knows with how the markets are fluctuating lately? Um, But he did say, quote, I know that it's a highly controversial decision. I didn't make it lightly. I will admit that I wasn't comfortable seeing money go out the door to people like this, but it was the right thing to do for the country. Um, Which it's, this is one of those situations where, you know, it's easy for us to sit on our high horse and say, never, ever, ever, ever pay the ransom. But if it is quite literally the only thing you can do to get a massive pipeline for the East Coast, the United States back online, it's difficult for us to say, don't pay the ransom, suck it up and rebuild from scratch. What's not difficult to say is shame on the pipeline that they didn't have an alternate. I mean, it, you could say that, Mark, but you could also question why the hell did you design a system where you required to pay a digital ransom to someone else to get this pipeline working? Yeah. Again, right? I mean, that's a, a, a major design issue. Yeah, so I, I'm with you. I've said the same thing you just said in reference to hospitals getting hit, but I, yeah, I just you're think it's absolutely silly right, that, that that they had to pay the ransom in the first place. And if that's the, if this pipeline is that critical, critical enough to pay a criminal five million to get a, up and running, wasn't it critical enough to pay five million extra two years ago to actually add a backup and disaster recovery plan? I mean. Why didn't you spend the money before to prevent this from happening? Uh, That's the whole point. Like there's, you should never set yourself up in a position where paying the ransom is your only option, especially if you're a critical pipeline like this for a large portion of the country. Now, obviously we don't know all the details. Maybe they had a great plan, but this was just the most sophisticated attack under the sun. I don't think that's very likely. Um, But, uh, Bottom line is like they came to the point where they thought they had to pay and they did, which sucks because basically it it doesn't guarantee in this case, it does look like they got access to the decryption keys, but that isn't always the case. Like all the guarantees is now they have more money and incentive to go after other companies again. Um, Luckily, in the case of Darkseid, the ransomware group behind this attack, they do appear to have disbanded after the fact, (laughs) basically drawing too much heat. You you scoff because I mean, you and I both know that, yes, Maybe the name Darkseid is gone, but these exact same individuals behind it are probably just starting up another one under a different name as we speak right now. Um, but there was a also last week a cybersecurity. The, firm. the other re- thing to realize, and I'm sure we might talk about that, is that Darkseid are the ransomware as a service authors. They are. Uh, what's strange in these type of ransomware and as a service attacks is Darkseid may not have been the affiliate that attacks Colonial Pipeline. 
Darkseid sells ransomware as a service to affiliates, and the affiliates find targets and attack them. The affiliates get the majority of the money usually, but uh, Darkseid disbanding does not mean the affiliate that, uh, one, I don't believe they've disbanded. I believe they're changing their name and maybe changing their ransomware as a service signature to try to avoid authorities now that they've gotten news. But the affiliate themselves may have absolutely nothing to do with Darkseid other than leveraging their ransomware as a service. So it's kind of funny talking about all these dark side attacks when in reality they're affiliate attacks that use the dark side ransomware. Yeah, and you mentioned that the affiliates get a large portion of the money. There was actually some research from a security firm called uh, Elliptic where they found Darkseid's Bitcoin wallet and found that over the last six months they had made $90 million in ransom payments with 75 million of those payments being paid out to affiliates. They, they didn't make, but they received 90 million in ransom payments. Correct, yes. Uh, and of that, 15 million is what they kept, the rest of it going out to affiliates. So ransomware as a service, like it's a pretty good business for even just individuals that are good at social engineering and not necessarily making the ransom payload itself. Uh, I, I say this sarcastically, but I personally think the, the dark side group that makes the ransomware as a service, they don't give a about, excuse me, <laughs> beep that they don't give a crap about the the affiliates they're to them the affiliates are mules it's a smart way criminally for them to keep a layer of separation between the actual criminals targeting these companies you know they can claim we're not getting the majority of the money these other guys are oh and we didn't do the attack we just supplied a tool so i anyways yeah, and they did send out an email to their affiliates saying that they were shutting down due to pressure from the U.S. But like you said, like it feels like these they made so much money, there's no way they just walk away without trying to make more under a different name. By the way, I, I already shared on another podcast, I thought this was silly and that I don't believe Darkseid's marketing, but we talked about how Darkseid kind of acts like the Robin Hood of ransomware and pretend we, we don't attack healthcare or blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, how can they even prove, uh, one, we've already claimed that Colonial Pipeline is pretty close to government, but the truth is Darkseid's not doing the attacking, it's their affiliates. So other than hoping their affiliates honor what they say, just because Darkseid says we don't attack healthcare doesn't mean someone's not going to use their ransomware in, in a different way. So I don't even think, I don't even understand how they can try to make that stupid claim that we're selective about who we attack. No, you're not. You're selling your ransomware to criminals on the underground and you have no real control of who they attack. I guess you could turn it off maybe if you decided you didn't like a victim, but obviously your affiliates have been attacking people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one last bit of details from that elliptic report, they actually, they were able to track all the way to the exchanges of where Darkside cashed out to. But unfortunately, all those exchanges were located in jurisdictions that don't enforce anti-money laundering regulations like we have in the States. Like all the ones based in the United States, in order to set up an account, you have to send photo verification of your ID, jump through a bunch of hoops, and then they're required to track suspicious activity and report it to the authorities. But that isn't the case across the rest of the world. And so some of these exchanges located in other areas, uh, it doesn't even necessarily mean they're transferring the money from Bitcoin into cash could just be they're transferring from Bitcoin to Monero 
and then on a more secretive blockchain like Monero, moving it around and then transferring it to cash out of a more robust exchange. Like there's a lot of ways to hide your tracks these days when it comes to cryptocurrency. Uh, even ones that do require ID verification, though, like we talked earlier in this year after the FBI released their Internet's uh, crimes report, where they noted there was a significant amount of social engineering used to get pictures of IDs from victims so that threat actors could then turn around and use those IDs to open up accounts on cryptocurrency exchanges. So there's still a lot of ways around it, even though, like you and I say, like the Bitcoin blockchain is entirely open, it's public, anyone can see what's going on in it, and with enough analytics, you can track where transactions are going. There's still plenty of opportunities to hide who you are when it comes time to cashing out, unfortunately. We can't always identify exactly who it was on the end of that transaction. Um, moving on to another update now. Uh, this one on our favorite uh, supply chain attack of the decade. Uh, SolarWinds CEO uh, Sunakar Ramakrishna. Oh boy, I messed that one up too. Uh, gave a pre-recorded interview at this year's digital-only RSA conference last week, where he divulged a few more updates about the supply chain attack saga that affected their company. Uh, biggest, though, he revealed that the attackers were present in Solar Chain or Solar Winds systems as early as January 2019, which was months earlier than the earlier reported October 2019 start date. You Based said October, but I thought it was either way is what you say is correct. But in the timeline, I remember solar wind, I think September, September nine, nine, something was when they reported it. But either way, that's nine months earlier than their timeline originally. Started. And a full two years before the attack was eventually discovered too. like there is a large amount of dwell time and rec reconnaissance for this attack, which is pretty nuts when you think about it. Like, a lot changes in an organization over two years. Like I know not everything changes, but like development environments change, how you write your code base, what you put in your code, all, like a lot of things change. And two years is a long time to go completely unnoticed without tripping some sort of alarm or breaking something that caused it to get investigated. I mean, he actually pointed out, he said the tradecraft the attackers used was extremely well done and extremely sophisticated, allowing them to hide in plain sight. The attack was possible uh, because the attackers had the resources of a nation state behind them, which our government has attributed to Russia um, pretty handily. I think they've even began um, uh, court proceedings that obviously won't go anywhere because Russia is not going to extradite anyone ever for anything like that. But it's it's interesting seeing such a sophisticated attack targeting this company. It kind of makes sense, like solar winds has their fingers and a large number of companies and government agencies. They make really good tools, which is why everyone uses them. And if you're a hostile foreign nation state threat actor, like who else would you want to target than someone that could potentially give you remote access to 14,000 different networks? Um, I guess not many new takeaways from this one though. Like, yeah. They were around for a long time. <laughs> we knew about that. Uh, what could they have possibly done to like detect them that early? I guess without knowing the details of how they did it, it's kind of difficult to say, but really it boils down to maybe assuming that you've been compromised and doing active threat hunting on your networks. What are your thoughts, Corey? I think you nailed the takeaway. I mean, we already knew this was sophisticated. 
It's an interesting update. I know they were there for two years rather than one year and three months, but to be quite honest, one year and three months is already scary enough. So uh, to me, this is not much new, but uh, I, I think every company needs to assume the worst. It's not about if, it's about when. I can say even as a security company, you and me directly, Mark, now are always wondering if, if we've had an issue and, and we have our team pen testing and uh, doing third-party audits and uh, threat hunting with our own uh, Active Defense 360. So it's it's something you're always worried about. And then you and I have already said this will have implications on the security industry for a while. When you get to these, I, this is what the whole term APT is, buzzworthy is that advanced persistent threat actor is. If you have a threat actor that is has time and money, is state-sponsored, literally they can have millions of dollars and hundreds of people spending all day, five days a week for years on something, uh, they could get in your network. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to beat that kind of attack. Uh, and really yeah. it boils down to making sure you can recover from it at that point in time. Uh, so moving on to our last story then for the week. Um, during their investigation of the water supply poisoning attempt against that Florida town of Oldsmar's water supply back in February of 2021, uh, the security firm Dragos found that a Florida water utility contractor's WordPress website had been compromised by a threat actor to host malicious data collecting JavaScript. And interestingly enough, uh, a computer on the same network as the one that was ultimately attacked during that event in February of 2021, visited this website just hours before that incident happened. Uh, so Dragos believes that adversaries exploited one of multiple vulnerable WordPress plugins that were in use at the time that the attack or that the website was compromised. And then between December 20 of 2020 and February 16 of 2021, anyone who visited that website had their browser and uh, operating system fingerprinted, looking for things like the OS, browser details, your GPU info, time zone, geolocation, basically anything you can get through a web browser, which is a heck of a lot of data, uh, which they then fired off to a Heroku app endpoint. Now, they did say that there isn't any direct evidence um, that this compromised site that someone visited from the network was directly related to the attack, um, but it is still an interesting temporal correlation is what they called it. A compromised contractor for a water supply uh, contract or compromised website for a water supply contractor in Florida visited by a water supply utility. And then a few hours later, that utility is attacked through a, I think it was a team viewer attack, basically guessing passwords. Like it's interesting. There's a lot of similarities in there that kind of flow a little bit together. Um, so, I mean, I guess my question would be this style of, uh, normally when we see watering hole attacks, they're using JavaScript to try and run an exploit kit and deliver malware. But in this case, they were just using it to fingerprint browsers. Like what would the point of that be to an attacker? Do you think they're like trying to just find victims like this and then hit them later? Or what other uses could just fingerprinting be used for random visitors to a website? Are you asking? Because yeah. the article talked a little bit about this. Didn't, didn't they talk about how uh, botnets, there, there are automated techniques for, there, there's 
things out there that allow you to tell if something's a human or a robot, lots mm -hmm. of different technical means. And uh, I think the article on this talked about how, is it J3? What is J3, Mark? I think you know that it's a even better fingerprinting than tool. Yeah, and didn't they talk about how one a botnet could use the same functionality to use visitors of the watering hole, like actual human visitor going to a watering hole, might touch this fingerprinting tool, look like a human, and that could help a botnet evade, you know, uh, non-human robot detection. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, they did say they found similar, not quite identical, but similar code hosted on one other website on the internet too. Uh, this one was, it's called Dark Team Store, which was supposed to be a dark web marketplace, but they noted that it wasn't really a that much of a marketplace and it wasn't really that much of a dark <laughs> web in this case. Um, but like they did point out that it's this code is only in use on two websites that they found. It was highly sophisticated in all of the um, evasions that it used, like all the obfuscation tools it had. And it was hosted on a, aside from that dark web place, a water utility contractor website that was visited by a water utility that subsequently got hacked. And so at a minimum, like it does show that there is a risk to this industry. And it makes sense. Oh, we sure, talk about it sure. plenty that industrial technology is an area basically ripe for the picking as more and more yeah. of these municipalities turn on network connected systems without necessarily securing them properly. Dragos's take up, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Dragos focuses on ICS, industrial control systems. So, but I, I think their summary was essentially what you said. Looking into this attack, they found how highly punted and dangerous threats can be to utilities like watering hole utilities. However, this investigation suggests that this particular attack might have been a coincidence and was less ominous than people expected. It wasn't because they necessarily were targeting the, the, the water system, but it could have just been this simple uh, botnet trying to get past things. So it could have been a coincidence. But but I, I, I think you're exactly right in that. I mean, their main point was whether or not this attack was really being one of these deep, super sophisticated, let's target and poison water systems or something else, it shows how easy it is to attack water systems. I mean, the the frank the, the simple fact that they were using outdated WordPress plugins, uh, you know, obviously they're not super sophisticated defenders. Yeah, and I guess if you do have a takeaway from this, a lot of organizations do have WordPress WordPress sites uh, like us. Secplicity is hosted on WordPress. Make sure you're keeping those updated because your plugins have a lot of power. And if there's a vulnerable plugin, it typically is used to compromise your website, not necessarily like deface it or steal your data like you would uh, expect to see, but oftentimes they're used to host these malicious JavaScript files that then affect your visitors to your site. Um, so keep an extra eye on your, your WordPress sites and keep an extra eye on your water utilities to make sure that you don't get poisoned, I guess. Because <laughs> I'm sure many of our listeners are managing water utility plants as we speak. Could be. Who knows? Man, I'm thirsty. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. 
I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.